0: So next Sunday, meet under the Bethel tree for dinner. Okay, bring your own sandwiches. All right, here's a little test. Who here thinks that that'll actually happen? Okay, and who here thinks that you'll still be in this building? Is, it, is that wisdom? Or is that pessimism? Or is that Optimism? question isn't it are you by nature optimistic that's one kind of optimism are you optimistic by conviction we will go are you pessimistic uh, we've got a I think we've got planned ahead a couple of Sundays and uh, we we'll meet together like this and I thought it might be useful For me to do therapy in front of you. Okay, I thought that might be useful and I thought you might join in. And I thought to do a series. And the series is around this question of optimism. Optimism. Or, uh, let me put it in a different way, grace-filled expectation. What is your expectation that God will do? That's the question. Are you an optimist or have you become a pessimist? I think as Christians we should be optimists. I think as Christians we should have a a living expectation, a looking forward, a a bravery. Uh, There is a pessimism, I think, in our society. A, a, um, A glass half full. We're living in a glass half full time, aren't we? I'm watching the cricket. I love the bravery of the present English and Welsh cricket team, but it also worries me that they're foolhardy. That's kind of where I am. I think that's kind of where our society is. As I look back, I don't remember much of the 60s, I, I was, you know, I, we escaped the 60s, and I wasn't that old when we escaped the 60s. I think the 60s was a kind of time of, of optimism. Uh, and before, the Victorian age was a go and do it. We can do it. Then the 60s was optimism with a bit of change. The 70s and 80s, well, certainly the 80s, which is where my memory kicks in, was a time of, of hedonism, really, of, of excess. That's, that's how I remember the, the 80s. And then the 90s, well, we started to see the wheels come off the excess, didn't we? And and now we're living in, in, and it's like the world's going to end. We we look at the weather maps, and it's like thundering inferno over over the, over the, the Mediterranean. They turn the maps from green to red. It's amazing. And we're all living in fear. COVID hasn't helped, has it? I think that has crept into the church. That kind of outlook has crept into the church. We've become fearful. Uh, Certainly, I have, which is I'm doing therapy in front of you in a way. We've become kind of fearful. We've become, could God do something? Would God do something? Can God do something? My theme this evening is is fairly simple, and as as you would expect, I'll reveal too much about myself, I'm starting off kind of pessimistic, but I'm I'm heading towards optimism, godly expectation of his grace. I I want this evening to ask the question, what stifles future hope? What stifles future hope? What what, what, what stops us uh, expecting God to do something and being brave? What is it that's that's stifling us spiritually as as Christians? And in order to do that, I I turned to Asa uh, because uh, here in the book of Chronicles is one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. And it's one I come to when I'm I'm feeling downhearted and when I'm feeling discouraged. And uh, I'm not particularly downhearted and discouraged at this point. It's just in the atmosphere, isn't it? don't (laughs) It makes it sound like I'm I'm really the, no I'm, I'm I'm working my way out of it, and this wonderful statement that is made in verse nine: the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards Him, to give support to those who are seeking to serve Him. That's that's really what it's about. And here's this wonderful thought, that God is looking across this earth for people who are willing and prepared to serve him so that he may encourage and support them. And if you have that desire to serve him, which I certainly do, in 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 a world and a setting that is generally very negative and downbeat, God is looking for you and for opportunities to strengthen you to serve Him, so that you may be bold, so that you may be faithful, so that you may—I think it was um, the 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 Kalaru went to India. Uh, India, attempt great things for God. Attempt great things for God. Um, his name will come to me eventually but not at this moment in time. Carry. It continues, doesn't it? Attempt great things to... I'll have it ready for our next session. All right. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Yeah, brilliant. That's what we need to do. Okay. Here we have an account of a man who didn't do that. We have the account of Asa. And I want to look at the account of Asa and I want to ask some questions of him. Questions, why did he not trust God? Uh, uh, which caused God to be extremely unhappy with him, uh, which he did not repent. So let me start with the history. Let me start first of all with the history of Asa, king of Judah. The old kingdom of David is now split into two. The great kingdom of David has been split into two parts. Uh, and on one part in the south, we have Judah which is ruled by David's children. Okay, they're pretty well offsprings of David. And in the north, we have Israel. Israel is ruled by all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds throughout its history. And the two kingdoms are split. And They were once together, but they're now divided. And uh, we're dealing, in essence, uh, with the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom remained most faithful, not completely, but most faithful. The northern kingdom, Israel, no, that was, that, that, that was far from faithful. Uh, and so when we come to King Asa, he's ruling the southern kingdom. The two kingdoms, their spiritual life has ebbed and flowed over the years. But by the time we get to chapter 16 of uh, 14 and 15 and 16 of 2 Chronicles, Asa appears. Now, Asa brings about a spiritual, political uh, reformation. He brings about a remarkable reformation. And he puts an end to a lot of the I- idolatry that was going on uh, around when he started. And we see that he makes a number of wonderful reforms, great reforms. He cuts down the, uh, the, the I- idol pillars the Ashram pillars on the high places and in the low places. Uh, He gets rid of the false incense altars. He, he, He makes remarkable, remarkable changes, wonderful and remarkable changes. Now, of course, there's a spiritual backlash to that, which involved an attack from the Libyans and the Ethiopians, which is what they were called in those days. I'm not sure they're the same Libyans and Ethiopians as today, but it was, it was those general areas, but probably not the people groups of today. But they attacked him. However, he trusted in God. And when he was challenged by them, though he was weak and his country was small and weak, he called on God and God helped him. And he defeated them with his army, trusting in God. So they defeated them. And a remarkable period of Um, A remarkable period of peace followed. In fact, uh, almost 36 years of peace followed. And it was wonderful. Uh, A time of, of, of wonderful blessing, encouragement and peace. However, in the northern kingdom, a new king came to reign called Basha. And he decided that he would cut off the supply route, the trade route down into Israel. Now, now uh, right through Israel, north and south, Judah and Israel, there was a supply route going from Egypt north into Babylon and it was very, very um, well used and you could become very rich if you lived on the supply route and Israel benefited massively. So Basha said, well, hey, I'm going to build a new city and we're going to cut off the supply route. We're going to starve out our cousins, which is a a cruel and political thing to do. That's what he decided to do. So he built Ramah so that he could control the trade and movement of people down through not just Israel, where he was, but into Judah. And this, no doubt, had huge and very serious effects upon the finances and the security of the country. Things became so bad that King Asa, emptied his own personal treasury, and then went to the temple and emptied the temple treasury. And he gathered all the money together, and he sent the money to the king of Syria, Ben-Hadid. And he said, in essence, we've had relationships before uh, between our countries. We're in an agreement now. Uh, here's some money. I want you to attack the north Israel. Okay, I'll pay you to attack the north it's 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 really quite impressive. Uh, ben hadad had an agreement with the north, but they didn't pay him any money, so he took the money, and then he attacked the north. Very effective it was. It was very effective as he attacked the northern tribes. They stopped building Ramah, and they they went back home. And then uh, and then Judah and Asa went and took all the. They very, very generously contributed stone and wood from Rama and, and, and built their own towns. What's wrong with that? It uh, seems, seems very wise in many ways. I think, you know, it's like today. If our politicians were half as wise as Asa, then we'd be very happy, wouldn't we? We'd be very happy. However, God wasn't happy. Uh, And God sent his prophet and said, here's the problem. The problem is that you did not come to me first. You did not rely on me. First and foremost, you went to human beings. You didn't inquire of me like you did 30 years ago. You didn't pray to me like you did 30 years ago. You just went straight to men. Do I not exist? Am I not your God? Are you not in a covenant with me? you know uh, the children of Israel are in a living covenant with God and live in agreement with God he'll be their God they'll be his people they'll praise and worship and seek him and he'll look after them and care for them. that's the agreement but he's gone straight away to Syria, and God says that's wrong. you didn't come to me I'm not happy and, and as a result the Assyrians have got away, their army has got away, and the future will be all about that powerful army that you could have defeated, controlling you and making your life utterly miserable. But he was very, very angry, was King Asa, and he persecuted a lot of people, and he put the prophet... In prison, in stocks, which seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? If you're going to put someone in prison, but in prison, in stocks, that's how angry he was. Uh, But he got a disease in his feet very, very quickly after that. And within a couple of years, uh, he was dead. And, And even when he was at his sickest, he trusted first of all men, not God. He never said sorry. He never repented. He never went back to God acknowledged his sin. He just went to physicians. I'm not against going to physicians. I'm all for it. But not at the ignoring of God. God first. So that's that's Asa. That's his story. Let me break it down. Secondly, hindrances that we see in his life to faithful, godly living and hopeful expectations. What hindered a previously faithful, godly king. What, what hindered him? He forgot his history. He forgot his history. He forgot the past blessings. He forgot the spiritual reformation. He forgot what it was like to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. He forgot what it was like to worship God first and foremost and have God first and foremost in his life. He forgot what it was to seek God about everything, especially the big things of life. He had, he had forgotten that. 30 years had passed and, and things had changed. And he had, he had stopped trusting God and seeking God. And he would forgotten God. He had stopped seeking God's face. When things went wrong, he went to human beings, not first and foremost to God. Now, God may well have directed him to human beings. We don't know. We never know. He never asked God first. Uh, furthermore, he had had 30 years of peace. I think it had made him lazy. You know? I think he had become lazy. Uh, peace is wonderful and prosperity is wonderful. But it tends to make us Lazy. It it tends to make us self-sufficient. It it tends to skew our view of things and our thinking. We know that when we are struggling, when we are fighting spiritual battles and physical battles, when life is hard, we draw near to God. We have to. We we have no choice. We're very near to him. But when life is going easy we're putting weight on in the middle, And the bank account's looking healthy and everyone's happy. We become lazy. We become lazy. We don't read the Bibles the way we used to. We don't attend church the way we should. We don't pray the way we used to and the way we should. Because we don't really need God. Everything's okay. I think that crept in to him. And crept into his life. And I'm just reading into him what's in me. I think he forgot what it's like to work with other people and to battle with others. And Because the people had got together 30 years previously and they'd, they'd gathered together in an army and together they had served the Lord. But all that ease and all that peace, they'd stopped working together. And I, and I suspect that they'd forgotten what it was like to stand together. And to go to battle together. He had forgotten what it was like to have answered prayer. Remarkable victories. A closer walk with God. He had started to ignore the great covenant that he had with God. That he would worship God and that God would be their God. Look after them. And it's easy to do. You know, we get involved with other people and other situations and other settings and we start to make agreements with them. And we start to build relationships with them. And sometimes we do so to the exclusion of God. Asa certainly seems to be in this position. Here's the test. And if you're not sure where you are in this, here's the test. When you can only talk... A vibrant, lively, faithful Christian life in past tense. You've got problems. If I was to ask you c- to give a testimony to God's goodness in your life. If you've got to go back, if you've got to go back, you will go back ten years. But if, you've, if that's all you've got to do. If you've got to go back five years, what's happened in the last five years? If I was to ask you to give a testimony to God's goodness, if in a way you could not start last week, then, then there's problems, isn't there? Because God is about your past, not about your present. That seems to me very much what's happening with Asa here. And it's very easy. It happens very quickly. Uh, and, and, you know, he's, he finds himself then in, in a, a spiritual conflict without a walk with God. And he goes straight to other human beings, not to God. Uh, Paul warns us against this, and, and especially against um, peace. And becoming uh, lazy in our thinking. 1 Peter 5.8, he says this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Asa had forgotten that he is the king of a spiritual country in a spiritual battle. And he was not looking for an enemy. And he should have been. We are a spiritual people in a spiritual battle. We should be looking and expecting an enemy. Sometimes he will come as a roaring lion. Sometimes he will appear, we're told, elsewhere as an angel of light. But his aim is always to destroy our witness and our walk with God. When crisis came, who do you run to? Do you run, first of all, to God? Or do you run like Asa does to the king of Syria, forgetting at all to inquire of God and to rely on God? He did not seek the Lord. He sought help from, well, the others. That's the problem. When his hypocrisy is revealed, he gets angry. And this is what weakens him. It weakens him that, first of all, he's living in the past. He's become lazy. He's stopped crying to God when crisis comes. And, and Asa becomes angry when God calls him out on it. Well, we all do, don't we? We, we? we all become angry when God calls us out on our hypocrisy and our lack of faith. We all get very angry. I'm sure, I certainly have. I've I've wanted, after a few sermons, to take a good stick to the man who was preaching. Uh, Fortunately, wisdom has stopped me doing it. Okay, but why was I so angry? Well, because the minister knew me. He was talking about, no, he wasn't talking about you. He didn't know you, but God did. God God knew Asa, called him out, put his finger right on the sore bit, and he was angry. He, he was angry with the prophet, he put him in prison, put him in stocks, he raged, he attacked other people who seemed to me at this point to be quite innocent, it's not, it's not obvious who he, why he attacked these other people, why he made their lives miserable, but when you're angry, uh, you know, there's a saying, I like it, uh, when you're a hammer, everyone's a nail, yeah, when you're a hammer, everyone's a nail, when you're, when you're angry, everyone's your enemy. And he seems, Asus seems to have done this, and he seems to have taken it out on on everyone. Uh, Innocent people, but don't we? Don't we, when we're we're angry with God, when we're not right with God? We we take it out, very often, on the people who are nearest and dearest to us. It's not their problem, it's our problem. Uh, These are the things, these are the things that hinder faithful living. Unrepented sin, hypocrisy, failing to look to God, not remembering our past, not working it into our, future, into our present. These are the things that, that hinder faith. And we're all guilty of it in some way. Our pride, self-righteousness is part of our lives. Thirdly, I'll get to the hopeful bit now, okay? Because it's all very miserable and I don't want to stay there, okay? We don't want to stay there. <laughs> That's not the place. We don't want to be Asa, you know? Confess your sins. And he is willing to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't stay where Asa is. Angry, frustrated, rebelling against God and willing. I mean, he got ill, very, very ill. And, and Ill, Ill in his feet, deeply unpleasant disease, illness in his feet. And he still didn't call to God. He he had become so angry. He still didn't call to God, even in his deep distress and physical lack of comfort. Thirdly then, hope, faith and future blessing. If only Asa had repented. If only he had said, I did wrong. If only he had put up his hand. You know, he was the offspring of King David. And King David did things that were wrong. As you read the story of his life, he did a number of things that were deeply wrong. And at the end of him, what sets him apart from Asa is not that he did things that were wrong, because that's what they had in common. What set David apart was when he was called out, when it was revealed to him, when God challenged him, he said, yes, that's me, I'm sorry. And he confessed his sin and he sought God. And if only Asa had repented, if only he had confessed his sin, if only he had sought God, if only he had turned back the years and did what he once did, if he only he had gone back to being a younger man, reformed, reformed the church, reformed the country, reformed his own life and sought God with all his might and strength and soul and mind, with everything he had. It would have been a very different story. Because as we know, the eyes of the Lord, he sees everything. There is nothing hidden from God. Nothing. The eyes of the Lord are searching the earth even now. They are searching your heart and my heart. They are searching your life and my life. The eyes of the Lord cannot be stopped. We, we cannot stop the eyes of the Lord. No no matter, we can go to the highest mountain and join that long line of people trying to get to the top of Everest and he'll see you. We can go to the depths of the ocean and he can see you. We can go into the deepest mine in Wales and he can see you. The eyes of the Lord see us wherever we are. We can get on a boat and we can go to the other side of the world like Jonah tried and he can see you. You might get thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish and be at the bottom of an ocean in a fish like Jonah. And he can see you, the eyes of the Lord. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. He sees everything. He knows you. He sees you. He doesn't just see what you do, which is what we all do. We all see what you do. But he sees what you desire. He sees what you think. He sees what you long for. He sees who you are, and the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. This is what intrigues me—the way that, that the psalmist puts it, or, or sorry, the way the prophet puts it: God is looking, and He's looking. He sees everything, but here He's described as looking. Will He? His eyes stop on you, and will He find what He's looking for? What's he looking for? He's looking for those that he can give strong support to, whose hearts are right with him. He's looking through the earth, and he's looking for someone, or two or three people, whose hearts are right, who want to be right with him, who want to serve him and walk with him, who want their lives to bring glory and honor to him. If you want your life to bring honor and glory to God, he will find you. Don't worry. He has already seen you. Not only that, he wants to strengthen you. The NIV version says his, his eyes are looking throughout the whole earth. I like the translation, NIV. To strengthen those whose hearts are... Are fully committed to him. I like that. A blameless before him. Fully committed to him. If your heart is fully committed to the Lord. Then he will find you. And he will support you. And he will strengthen you. What an encouragement that is. You know. What a, what a great encouragement that is. All, all I have to do is want to be right with God. All I have to do is is want to serve him. All I have to do is want to be blameless before him. All I want to do is live a life committed to him. And he'll find me. Not only will he find me, but he'll help me. He'll support me. It's lovely that the strong support or strengthen me. I need it. You need it. Asa needed it. We all need strong support. He'll give you it. He'll give you strong support so that you can serve him in whatever situation he's placed you. He's probably not going to make you a king. I think mean, that's a bit late. And I'm sure you're massively relieved. But he could support you. He could support you living in a hostile workplace. You know, If you want to live faithfully before God in a hostile anti-Christian workplace, he knows... He's seen you, and he'll support you. If you're wanting to serve God in a, in a hostile school, or college, or university, or wherever, wherever you are there, he's seen you, and he'll support you. If you want to live to his glory, in, in amongst your family, amongst your friends, he knows that. He's seen you. He'll support you. He'll encourage you. I'm sure if any of this is true of you, you already know that he's encouraging you. Be brave. That's, what, that's the point of this. Be faithful. Wherever he's put you. Uh, if you want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your, your neighbor and your friends down the street. The people in the village where you live. If that's your heart's desire. He'll support you in it. He'll help you. It's God's desire to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking. His eyes are searching throughout the earth. And he will find you. He's already found you. And he'll give you the strength that you need. You want to walk as a faithful Christian. You want to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You want to live a godly life. You want to make a difference wherever you are, wherever you're working, wherever you're you're at school or college, then God knows. And he'll strengthen you. Are you resting in his strengths or in your own strengths? Are you resting in his strengths or in the strengths of the people that you've got connections with? he knows, rest in his strength. See, sometimes we can be like Asa and we can say, well, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God and I'm, I'm a child of the king and I'm, I'm living in a world as a child of the king and then we don't act like it. We know it in our head but it doesn't reach to our heart and our actions. Grace-filled future optimism it's not fantasy thinking it's believing God's Word and this is what God says I see you and I will strengthen you and do you believe that? and will you live a life that responds and corresponds with that? that's a great challenge Jesus Christ himself uh, we we thought about it earlier uh, earlier today in uh, in our morning service, and where Jesus Christ, he he says uh, he says this as he's coming to the end of his end of his earthly, uh, well, not his earthly life because he's about to go into heaven. Matthew 28. This is what Jesus says: all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here's my command to you: Go and make disi- disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I command you. I will not leave you alone. And surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. If you're seeking to serve him. He's with you. And will strengthen you. Great encouragement, yes? Yes.